it was like the elephant in the room and we kept skirting around it and then eventually we just sat and talked. Maxine, married to Ron, who has lived with idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis for several years, describing the strain that living with the condition can place on even the closest relationships. Welcome to Journeys Through Pulmonary Fibrosis, a podcast by Boa Ringer Ingelheim. I'm Louis, and I'll be joined by some extraordinary people living with this rare disease, as well as by some of those who care for them, to explore the importance of relationships. Let's begin the episode by learning about some of the challenges that pulmonary fibrosis can present to the relationships and social connections of people living with the condition. Thinking specifically about relationships with family and partners, how are these impacted by pulmonary fibrosis? Linda, who is from Australia and is living with idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis, describes how even her younger grandchildren are able to make allowances for her illness. The children now, the younger children in particular, um, they know that Grammy has got sick lungs and she may need to get new ones, but they, uh, they're very tolerant when I say, no, Grammy can't do that, I need to do this. I'm not going to run today or I need to have a rest. Um, you know, just give me a bit of a break. Sometimes the reactions of younger family members can be refreshingly unexpected. One of the funniest things was um, sharing with my grandson at the time, who was about 15 then. And when I told him that uh, my parents had died at 65 and 67, and it didn't look like I was going to make that age, he actually said to me, well, Grammy, people die in their 30s these days. <laughs> so it was quite funny. <laughs> Linda also told us about the different reactions that her daughter and son had to her initial diagnosis. I think my son felt it more than what my daughter. My daughter's a little bit more pragmatic like me in that what will happen will happen. And I, I think she will really feel it when I'm not here anymore. Um, my son did suffer quite a little bit at the time as well, but we were able to talk quite easily. Dr. Letitia Cuano Dorado, a pulmonologist at the University of Sao Paulo in Brazil, notes that, however family members and care partners respond, it is clear that mutual support and shared experience between people with idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis can help to normalise wider relationships with family and other friends. In terms of a relationship with uh, others like friends and families, what I frequently see happening is the patient uh, immersed in self-blame, self-condemnation, uh, like uh, feeling bad about themselves because, for example, there's need to use oxygen and they don't want people to see it and uh, feeling less than because they are sick. That is, in my experience, the main element driving uh, people away from each other. And when I say people away from each other, basically patients refraining from uh, social encounters and enjoying being together because they are afraid of being judged. In, in fact, the judgment is a lot within themselves. Dr. Kawano Dorado feels that people with pulmonary fibrosis can be particularly vulnerable to social withdrawal during the period immediately following their initial diagnosis. If 
a patient has not digested yet all the bad news related with the diagnosis, then the patient uh, would not bear hearing misunderstandings or, or feeling that he or she was not uh, seen or heard properly. So that could lead to a withdrawal from social life. But then that, if that's persist, that can be temporary, but if that's persistent, that will come with other, um, mental health issues because, well, we human beings, we need connection. We need belonging. So anxiety, depressive symptoms, uh, sleeping problems, and then that will surface on the consultation. Dr. David Rudia Garcia a psychologist with the pulmonary service of the University Hospital of La Princesa in Madrid, also believes the potential social impact of pulmonary fibrosis must be managed from first diagnosis. The social dimension of the patients are, are important. In fact, the social dimension of the persons are important. So maintain it is key. I think that they try at the beginning they try to maintain the normality because it's a, it's a good way to say, I, I have control of the situation. And I use uh, the aim of respiratory physiotherapy, more or less, <laughs> respect, I mean, to walk, to, do, to go places, to maintain activity is good for your, the lungs and for your disease. And this is a way to, to recover the social activity with the other people. Ron acknowledges the pressure that the disease has placed on his relationship with his wife, Maxine. Living with IPF has affected my romantic relationship quite significantly to the point is that I know if I want to have a romantic time with my wife, the amount of effort and strain it puts on me is immense. So I tend to stay clear if that makes sense or stay away or or turn the other or just avoid the situation because I know the amount of effort it takes me is colossal. Maxine agrees that Ron's condition has imposed changes on both of their lives and emphasizes that their open communication has allowed them to protect and preserve their relationship. I think changes is to our romantic relationship have obviously, as time's gone on, have definitely changed um, with the progression of the disease. It's obviously meant that we've had to look at other ways to keep close. So mentally, you wonder how the relationship's going. You're probably more fragile you're more worried that there could be barriers coming between you. So I think I think the one thing that keeps me going is that we talk about it. And it's so important because it's so easy to have that wedge drive you apart. Dr. Rudia Garcia emphasizes the importance of maintaining intimacy, but acknowledges that this can vary for people at different stages of their journeys. I always say that the intimacy of the couple must be maintained. What I'm trying to say is that the intimacy is very different in our lives and in different, in different moments of, of our lives. For many of us, 
sex is an important way to express our love for our partner. Here, Ron describes some of the challenges that people with pulmonary fibrosis can experience in maintaining their sex lives. I'm quite a romantic man, and sometimes if I've, if I've made love, sometimes I like to, I like to, you know, still talk to my wife, still cuddle her, still do the romantic things. But on the occasions that we have, have how can I put it, we have had a sexual relationship, the coughing, the low oxygen and the exertion that I've gone through sometimes puts me off, to, if that makes sense. You know, I, I cough a lot. I bring up a lot of phlegm. I have to rush to the toilet. So the romantic, the, the romantic side of that has disappeared because I don't think as a person I can be romantic towards her because it takes so much exertion. And, you know, it's, it's not nice. Maxine explains how the partners of people with pulmonary fibrosis can also become hesitant about sex. I think since diagnosis, intimacy has changed. Initially, no, not really. It was fine. As time's gone on, oxygen comes into play. You're worried that you're going to cause a massive coughing fit. You're going to cause them to be totally out of breath. So it's almost like you weigh up whether it's worth that closeness, which we all need, as opposed to, am I going to damage him more? Am I going to cause his heart to race? Am I going to cause such a massive coughing fit that it's, it's almost not worth going there, if that makes sense? Ron understands his wife's perspective and underlines the importance of maintaining good communication. Because I'm so close to my wife, and if I do have a problem, we can normally talk about it. But I've spoken to numerous couples who the guy, his wife has IPF, and he says, Ron, I'm frightened to touch her. And so I can understand that this is such an important subject that we need to talk about. And I've got to say, us English tend to steer clear of it because we don't like talk. We don't like talking about it. But I think it's very important for couples to discuss their feelings about their sexual relationship and the ways that they can overcome their barriers. Maxine agrees and adds that there are other ways to preserve physical intimacy. I think physical intimacy has to change. The way it takes place, as in it's more about cuddling, holding hands, being physical without actually having the total physicality that you used to have. It's about making sure that that person still feel loved and wanted, but without actually being able to continue you know, with the physical relationship you had before. I think the one thing that is really important is that we still continue to talk about it because I think the scare is that you don't think you want somebody because you're not having that relationship. Does it just disappear or is it a basis of your relationship? Is it 
something that should be happening? Do you feel you're missing out because it's not happening? Or do you make sure that that love and closeness is maintained by holding hands on the sofa, having cuddles every day, telling them you love each other? It's finding different ways to hold that closeness. Dr. Kawano Dorado believes that many patients should be able to preserve their sex lives, but feels that the topic is discussed too infrequently. Patients can use the same breathing control techniques used for other physical activities. There's also no problem in increasing the level of oxygen flow during sex if needed. Patients may also discuss with their partners variations in positions and who is more active in, during the, the sexual physical activity. So if I have access to that information, because since it's sensitive, patients uh, quite often do not bring that up in, in appointments, especially as we have uh, scarce time. Dr. Rudia Garcia actively raises the topic with his patients but understands that sexual intimacy is not necessarily important to all of them. I used to ask, how is your intimacy? And then how you are, how is going now? Because we don't need to try to, um, to, we need to ask. Sometimes people, older people have different intimacy than the young people. And I think it's important to, to understand what is the intimacy and how maintain. Dr. Kawano Dorado encourages others to understand both the emotional and physical needs of patients and emphasizes that sex will not worsen the underlying disease. Patients, families, and healthcare providers should pay as much attention to emotional needs as to physical ones. In talking particularly about sex, it's very important to debunk myths when living with a condition that impacts one's breathing. Having sex will not worsen your pulmonary condition. As any other physical activity, there are adaptations that can be done in order, in order to allow the continuation of a healthy sex life, if that's desirable. We've heard about some of the difficulties that people with pulmonary fibrosis can face in their relationships with friends, families and partners. What advice do our contributors have for overcoming these challenges? For Dr. Rudia Garcia, it is important for his patients and their partners to continue as normal as far as possible and to keep talking to each other. The best advice to maintain the relationships is not to stop being who you are, to keep the same way of communicating as always. The worst thing that happen, can happen to us is that people change to suit us. That makes us feel that we are really sick. If I'm happy, I saw it. If I'm sad, I saw it. If we do this, we can communicate honestly. It's not good to change, and to say yes, everything, to say no, everything, to change the way we connect with the other. In particular, without communication, Dr. Rudia Garcia believes that partners may make too many inaccurate assumptions. Sometimes it's not a line between the both of the patient and the caregiver. They have different perceptions of this. And we need to talk about this and to understand why. Because 
sometimes we think the reason that I mean the the but the, the problematic situation is that the the caregiver, for example, thinks that the patient doesn't want to do something because one reason that maybe is wrong. We need to talk, and we need to demonstrate that it's not it's not a problem to talk about this. You know. Through her work with the Australian Lung Foundation, Linda has been able to meet other people with pulmonary fibrosis. Having somebody else that knows exactly what we're going through um, has been more important, I think, than anything else. Being able to share exactly how you feel and also listening, being a listening person as well so that they, they feel comfortable sharing with them when they've got problems. Family and friends can be a very important part of our social environment, providing mutual support, advice and empathy. Sometimes the disease leads to new friendships. Linda meets regularly with three other ladies who also have idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis. A little group here that uh, we have where we live, there are four of us and we range in age from 61 to 72. All ladies all diagnosed with idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis. We get together once a month and share a morning tea. A couple of times we've gone out for lunch, which includes a couple of glasses of wine or something to have a really good relax and socialisation. So being able to, to be with them and talk to them has been fantastic because they understand exactly what we're going through. And we've been able to share the information like the ones who are on oxygen can help each other. Dr Kawano Dorado acknowledges that we all sometimes make mistakes in our communication with others but believes that this can be overcome. The expectation that others will have will know exactly what to say always you know like have the perfect word the comforting comment not say hurtful things. And so I think of forgiving disposition, you know, like it's, it's not something uh, people in general are used to dealing with. So some mistakes are part of the process. And if we allow those mistakes, forgive them, uh, have the chance to talk about it and, and say how we felt and how that, how that landed on us and, and give the chance for the other person to learn that uh, the relationship can continue very well. Dr. Kawano Dorado believes in forgiveness, even when communication is imperfect. Glitches in the communication or misunderstandings, well, that's, that's, that's part of the process that's part of, of relationships in general and uh, if there is a strong sense of belonging to that relationship and love so well even though I didn't like that comment or I didn't feel seen or heard I know that patient that person loves me that can be redone rebuilt um, forgiven our final words of this episode also come from Dr. Rudia Garcia, who reminds us that what we need from our relationships can vary. We need to understand how the patient thinks, how are the values, the, all these things, and then we will be able to create a strategy because we are so different. 
Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Journeys Through Pulmonary Fibrosis podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, then subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts. There, you will find previous episodes you might have missed. If you have any comments or questions, please reach out to hello at boehringer-ingelheim.com.